Hey guys, this is Dale Tedder, and welcome to the Walking Points Podcast for Men. Today I'm going to be sharing a sermon that I preached a while back called Living the Risen Life, and it's based on Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. So you can pause and go get your Bible and follow along if you like, or you can just listen, and uh, I hope you enjoy it, but thanks for checking it out today. You know, we, uh, uh, we have some important holidays around the church. Uh, we have Christmas, of course, where we celebrate the birth of Christ. Uh, we have Easter, uh, and, and the seasons that are part of that. We have the Lenten season that leads up to Easter. We have Advent that leads up to Christmas. Uh, but celebrating, um, remembering and celebrating the, the death of Christ for our sins, for him being raised on the third day for our salvation, that's that's a big deal, and I love that holiday. It's a great time to celebrate with our church family and to celebrate with you know our own families. Everybody gets dressed up, um, just family fellowship around the table together. It's a great time. But you know what strikes me about Easter is that we often treat it as if it was just one day of the year instead of a whole season, or really even an attitude that we ought to have. So this sermon is entitled The Risen Life because I want us to think a little bit about what it means for us to live our daily lives, to live our daily lives in light of Christ's resurrection. Now, Scripture has a lot to say about this. The Apostle Paul's words from Colossians 3, 1 through 4, connect these two ideas pretty well, I think. Paul says this in verse 1. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. He says, you have been raised with Christ. So right off the bat, that's what he's talking about, being raised with Christ. And since he's writing to the church in Colossae, he assumes they're already Christians. So you see, if you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, then something miraculous has happened to you. The Bible tells us that just as Christ was raised from the dead, that we also if we are in Christ, if we know Christ, if we've trusted Christ, just as he has been raised from the dead, we also have been raised from the dead. Before, before trusting in his work on Good Friday on the cross, we were all dead in sin. That's part of what it means to be a fallen or sinful people. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 declares, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But then, then something amazing happened when we trusted in Christ. Since he was our representative or our substitute on the cross, we actually died with him. That's one of the things baptism represents. The picture of a person being immersed in the water at their baptism. Well, that's more than just a symbol of being cleansed from our sin. It certainly includes that, but it's much more than that. It's also an image of actually dying with Christ, just as being uh, coming out of the water represents being uh, raised with Christ to new life. And so that's what Paul means here. Paul's proclaiming that we are new creatures in Christ. We have new life. We're no longer the same. Just like Jesus, we too are risen to new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And then the first part of Galatians 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but, but what? 
but Christ lives in me. That's pretty good news, but you might be asking yourself, well, that's great, but so what? Why did Paul say we're raised with Christ? Well, you see, Paul instructed followers of Christ that because they are raised with Christ, that they therefore need to live life in a new way. They can't live the same old way they always have. They need to live life in a new way. They need to live what at least I'm calling a risen life. So how can we do that? How can we live this risen life, this new life in Christ? Well, uh, we're able to do that because the first thing we need to do, according to Paul, is we do it by setting your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Let me read that again. This is uh, the second part of verse one. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So what does that mean? Well, the actual phrase is this, set your hearts on things above. It could be interpreted as keep seeking or continue seeking things above. So this language communicates a continuous action. In other words, it's not something that we just try once and then we're done. Uh, you do it once and you give up, or you do it once and you're, you're finished and you don't have to do it anymore. It's not that at all. It, it, it ought to be a habit in our lives to strive to look more and more like Jesus with each and every passing day. Paul's telling us to be passionately consumed with the things of God, with the things of heaven. We must continually pursue that eternal perspective in everything we say, everything we do, and everything we think. We need to pursue those beliefs, that character, those values, the, the practices that represent the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Now, maybe you've heard the old saying, you know, I thought we weren't supposed to be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. And I think some people seem to think so much about heaven that they seemingly opt out of participating here on earth. They don't really engage this life. They're sort of just waiting to die so they can go to heaven. But Paul reverses that idea. To, to paraphrase Paul, he's saying basically we should be so heavenly minded that we can't help but be of earthly good. I mean, after all, who pointed toward having an eternal perspective more than Christ? And who was more earthly good than our Lord? Jesus not only talked about eternal life after we die, he also talked about the abundant life that begins here and now. And so Paul drives his, his point home about how we ought to focus our thoughts. And so he writes this. He says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. Now, he's not saying we should ignore life here on earth. Instead, instead, the earthly things he's referring to are the broken, fallen, sinful patterns of living that the world practices, that the world embraces. He's referring to the values that the world holds dear. That's not what we are to think about. Does that make sense? We're not to be thinking about that or dwelling on that or letting that consume us or, or even lead us. Instead, Paul tells us we are to set our minds on things above. John MacArthur uh, puts it this way. He says, 
Set your mind could simply be translated think or more thoroughly have this inner disposition. The tense indicates continuous action. You must not only seek heaven, you must also think heaven. The believer's whole disposition should orient itself toward heaven where Christ is, just as a compass needle orients itself toward the north. He then says this, such heavenly values dominating the mind produce godly behavior. Let me say that again. Such heavenly values dominating the mind produce godly behavior. That's what we're called to continuously pursue and think about. And yet, it's hard to live and think that way all the time, isn't it? Or, or maybe that's just me, but I find it's really hard to live and think that way all of the time. And, you know, I mean, the world offers a great deal of competition to setting our hearts and minds on Christ and things above. I used to have a mentor who would say all the time, you know, our culture is not a Christ, uh, a Christ-like cultivating culture. And by that he meant, you know, the culture we live in resists the things of God. It does not help us produce the life of Christ or a Christ-like character. It really is tough. Pat Morley, who, uh, founded Man in the Mirror Ministries. He wrote a book called that, The Man in the Mirror, Solving the 24 Problems that Men Face. And he describes the difference between what he calls cultural Christians and biblical Christians. The difference between cultural Christians and biblical Christians. And he says the mark of a cultural Christian is that they love this life more than the next. They love this life more than the next. But by biblical Christian, he doesn't mean someone who's just waiting to go to heaven like we were talking about earlier. That's not what he's talking about. Instead, he's talking about the same thing that Paul addressed in Colossians 3, a person who deeply loves the things of God and pursues an eternal perspective in every sphere of his life. Morley says the cultural Christian, the cultural Christian loves the world and the things of this world is attached to things, produces limited fruit, has lost his first love, is lukewarm, reads his Bible for comfort, but his Forbes for direction, follows the God he underlines in his Bible, is a Christian on his own terms, and seeks the God he wants rather than the God who is. Ouch. Does that describe anybody listening to this? Any of you guys out there? Does that describe you at all? I mean, every now and then, do one of those things sort of describe you a little bit? I mean, that's kind of painful to hear. I can find myself in some of those descriptions from time to time. Well, that's the opposite of what Paul's teaching. Instead, the biblical Christian is the one who, because they've been raised with Christ, sets their heart on things above where Christ is seated and sets their mind on things above, not on earthly things. So we set our heart on things above where Christ is seated. We set our minds on things above and not on earthly things. So that idea of the heart and mind just really uh, represents the, the whole being needs to be represented, uh, not represented, needs to be um, concentrated on the things above where Christ is, on the things of God. Jesus tells a parable about the difference between Morley's cultural Christian and biblical Christian. 
uh, I want to read it uh, from Jesus, uh, his words in Matthew 13. This is verse uh, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. It says this, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did, have not, it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came out or came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred Sixty or thirty times what was sown, and then he says, "He who has ears, let him hear." And then Jesus doesn't leave it up to us or his disciples at the time to figure out what he meant by that parable, and so he interprets uh, in verses eighteen through twenty-three with these words. He says, "Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away." what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who receives the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But, but the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. And so, men, and any women that may be listening to this, which soil are you? As you heard those words from Jesus, you reflected on the different kinds of soils that were there. Which soil are you? Are you the one who hears the word of God and receives it with joy? But, you know, because you never really dig in, you don't grow strong roots. And therefore, your joy really only lasts a short time. As soon as trouble comes into your life, you bail on the things of God and you quickly fall away. Does that describe you? Or, or are you the one who hears God's word, but because of all the things you're worried about, your spouse, your kids, jobs, school, grades, the economy, politics, the state of our culture, because you're so worried about those things, your faith gets choked out and dies. Or maybe. Maybe what chokes you out is the pursuit of wealth and status and things like that. Jesus says those things, if those are the things that you pursue first and foremost in your life, those things will choke out your faith. And why? Because they are deceitful. They are deceitful. I want you to think of a man for just a minute. Think of a man who spends his whole life struggling with all his might, with all his determination to climb up a ladder only to reach the top at the end of his life and realize he had climbed up the wrong ladder. 
Well, guys, like that ladder, some things we desire and pursue in this world are deceitful. They will lead us astray. But maybe, maybe you're the guy who hears God's word and understands it. And because of this, you, you produce a crop for Christ. You're, you're, you're bearing fruit for Christ and for his kingdom. Which one of those soils describes you? Well, let me finish up by saying this. I want to share some, some bad news with you and some good news as I finish up here. The bad news is this. Left to ourselves, left to ourselves, we are all cultural Christians who fall short of where God wants us to be. Left to ourselves, we cannot please God and we will not even want to please God. Left to ourselves, we will have no desire for God or the things of God, okay? Left to ourselves, that's the direction we're headed. But guys, there is good news too. There is very good news. Because of what happened on Good Friday with the death of Christ and Easter Sunday with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we too have died and been raised from the dead. And the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and he lives in me. Can you believe that? I mean, that is awesome. That same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and he lives in me. That, brothers, is good news. The very Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ ministers to us by living in us and empowering us and guiding us and encouraging us, convicting us and teaching us. And so that's why Paul says in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In our scripture, Paul tells us that Christ is our life. Let me say that again. Scripture is telling us that Christ is our life. He desires to live his life in us and through us. And therefore, God calls us to set our hearts and our minds on things above where Christ is. But now here's the question. Here's the question. How? How, how do we do that? Well, you know, there are a lot of ways that we can learn to set our hearts and our minds on things above. And here, this is just a very short list, and you probably could come up with a bunch of other things as well. But first of all, through the reading, study, and meditation of God's word, through prayer, through worship, joining together with other followers of Christ and worshiping God and hearing his word read and preached, through regular, encouraging, and accountable fellowship, uh, Christian fellowship like Bible studies and Sunday school classes and small groups through godly literature and audio material. You know, there's lots of good preaching on the radio and the internet, and I'm not including this one, but there's a lot of good stuff out there. Now, you know, like I said, that's not an, that's not an exhaustive list, but putting some of these ideas into practice will start moving you in the right direction. But now here's the thing, and this is really important. Even if you put all those ideas into practice, you will never, never, never be able to set your mind on the things of God if the Holy Spirit does not first fill you, empower you, and direct you. 
And so we need to first pray for God, the Holy Spirit, to fill us for the purpose of living the risen life. Brothers, that is essential. That's not just important. That's not just a good idea. That is essential. And so may God fill us with his spirit, the spirit of his risen son, and enable us to live risen lives for his glory and for the blessing of all the world to see how good our God really is.